meeting of the Economy Committee. Some members will be attending this morning's meeting via Starleaf, and our witnesses will be briefing via Starleaf. The meeting will be broadcast live when open to the public, and a recording will be made available on the committee's web pages on the Assembly website. So just to remind members to mute their tablet devices when they aren't speaking. Um, so apologies, we don't have any notified apologies. Not as yet, no. So um, we have everyone from and Okay, moving on then to item number two. Um, there are draft minutes at page five of your pack from the meeting held on the 9th of June. Are members content that those are an accurate reflection of the meeting? Content. Okay, so moving on then to item number three, uh, which is chair's business, business, and there's a couple of items just here to, to run through. So there is correspondence from the Dairy Council NI about an invitation for a virtual visit to an EU sustainable dairy site. The event will last up to an hour and a half and will include an overview of the supply chain, an introduction to the available sustainability case studies and evidence base, an overview of the sustainability practices being implemented at farm and processing level, and a brief panel discussion and the opportunity for committee members to ask questions. The ERA committee has also been invited and the proposed date for the visit is Thursday the 8th of July, just before summer recess. The ERA committee meeting is that day already. Um, and it's fairly crowded. <clears throat> so the clerks of the committees are looking at timing of 1.30 p.m. This may not obviously suit some members who have committees on a Thursday afternoon. However, it was seen as, as the best uh, compromise. So are members content that the committee clerks would continue to liaise and to pin down uh, an itinerary for members? Great. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Then there are um, a page two of your table papers. Um, a presentation from the Human Rights Commission Business Forum on Employee Monitoring and Privacy, which the clerk attends on the behalf of the committee. So, Peter, do you want to? Chair, um, yeah, this this happens quarterly, and this was was probably one of the most shocking meetings. Um, and bearing in mind that the the forum deals with with a lot of issues, including likes of human trafficking, this was about employer monitoring. And I, I would urge members to have a good look at the slides because yeah. some of the, the technology available is really quite disturbing, including microchipping staff and um, all sorts of tags that they wear to do things and the, the level of monitoring around screenshotting them and so on. Uh, it's all available technology. It's out there. Um, there's no suggestion anyone local is using it, but it's out there. So if members uh, want to have a look at that and potentially um, going forward, it's something maybe to discuss, yeah. Yeah. especially with the working from home um, yeah. being yeah. so relevant now and potentially looking at legislation on working from home coming mm -hmm. yeah. um, and the right to switch off and so on. I, I know there's a bill in drafting, PMB, uh, Martina Anderson, I think. Um, so it, it, it was a, a real eye opener. Mm -hmm. um, so if members want to reflect on that, we'll bring it back yeah. um, when we get yeah. some further information. Yep, that'd be great. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. So moving on then, uh, just a final item of Chair's business is, um, and 
members will be aware we had an urgent question on Monday in relation to Stobart Air. The clerk emailed um, an update from Brian Ambrose at the city airport to members on Monday. Prior to that oral um, question being asked, Brian Ambrose will retire at the end of this month. Um, so the clerk would like to organise an update meeting with his successor and the chief executives of the International and City of Derry airports before summer uh, recess, if members are content with that. <coughs> and then um, additionally, uh, members will be aware that there is a meeting with sectoral representatives being finalised for Thursday the 8th of July um, in relation to the aviation sector. It's anticipated that this would be a morning meeting as the committee has the, the virtual forum meeting in the afternoon. That week chair is going to probably be quite busy um, before recess. Oh, and I suppose just a, a final um, item of chair's business, even though I already said we had the final one, um, on Monday. Monday, yeah. Um, I had a, a video call with Lord Jay, who is chair of the Lord's Protocol Subcommittee, and members will remember that we agreed that, that I would do that on the committee's behalf. Um, quite a, a useful conversation on um, issues to do with the protocol's implementation, as well as issues around the British government's uh, replacement funding for EU funds. Um, and we're going to continue that um, correspondence and, and conversation with the committee as we have done in the past with yeah, the EU sure. Affairs Committee. They're very active correspondents, so we, we, we have a lot of letters. They copy everything to us um, that they're doing around the protocol, so we have a couple of letters in the pack, and that looks to be a set sort of pattern. They've, they've got uh, quite a level of activity going. Yeah. Um, it might just be worth mentioning, too, they're doing a report um, they're hoping to publish before the end of July uh, around impact of the protocol. They've been taking evidence, uh, and it ties in with, with items we have later on in the agenda. Okay. Okay, so moving on then to item number four, which is our departmental briefing on the June monitoring round. Um, there's a clerk's memo at page 17 of your pack. There is a departmental written briefing on June monitoring at page 20, and um, the officials are now in the spotlight. So... I could welcome to the meeting um, <coughs> Sharon Hetherington, who is Director of Finance in DFE, and Joanna Park, who is Accountant of Financial Management in DFE. So if I hand over to yourselves just to, to take us through the, the briefing and then we can open up for questions. Thank you, Chair. Um, Chair, as you said, I'm joined by my colleague Joanna Park and brief members on June monitoring. So the paper members had in front of them this morning sets out my department's response to the gym monitoring exercise. Members will be aware the monitoring exercise, which typically occurs three times a year, allows departments to realign its budget allocation on the basis of emerging need. The flexibility provided last year allowing departments to reallocate non-ring fence budgets to meet emerging pressures without recourse to DOF has been extended to this year. So this allows departments to be more responsive in addressing emerging pressures. The paper sets out easements, budget pressures, reallocations that have been made and bids for additional funding. I will briefly summarise the headline figures round it to the nearest million pounds. Since the 21-22 budget was presented to the committee, DFE has been allocated nine million for COVID um, for support for further education to provide a safe learning environment. 
Also, um, we've been allocated uh, £32 million, um, which was £18 million for the COVID restrictions business support scheme and £14 million for the large tourism and hospitality business support scheme. In June, monitoring, DfE has allocated £19 million of non-ring fenced resource Dell budget. And this has been allocated, allocated rather against an opening of commitment of £7 million and inescapable pressures of £8 million. So this has resulted in £4 million of unallocated funding available to deal with emerging pressures uh, during the year. DfE has submitted two bids to DOF. So the first one is for £1 million um, of non-ring fenced resource dial to meet first year costs associated with bringing two future global events to Northern Ireland. And then the second is an £11 million bid for depreciation charges for further education colleges. Moving on to capital, internal reduced requirements of £17 million were identified in June monitoring and were offset against bids of £3 million. So this leaves an unallocated budget of £14 million. As set out in the paper, there are a number of emerging capital pressures which are being kept under review to utilise this funding. We also await the allocation of 42 million capital for Project Stratum and we're expecting that to be allocated in June monitoring. In advance of appearing at the committee today, members had asked two questions. Um, the first question relates to the 9 million of financial transaction capital or FTC, the reduced requirement in respect of the Ulster University Greater Belfast development. So the committee has asked for background about why the 9 million FTC could not be spent and whether it can be reallocated within the executive budget. So the FTC for the Greater Belfast Development is ring-fenced within DFE and therefore it cannot be used for any other DFE FTC projects. So the total funding secured for the Greater Belfast Development was 126 million and the initial 2021-22 FTC requirement for this project was 30 million. But this was based on the original spend profile before Ulster secured and you will remember the 25 million capital grant last year. So the capital grant had the effect of reducing last year's FTC requirement by 16 million and it also then reduced this year's FTC requirement by 9 million. So therefore the 9 million is declared as a reduced requirement in June monitoring and it will be available to the executive for reallocation. <coughs> The second issue the committee have asked for information on is the department's position in relation to end of year surges in both capital and resource. So in DfE there were no unknown surges and DfE performance against profile with the exception of ring fence dale was very good. Um, the variance in ring fence dale relates to student loans which is difficult which is a difficult area to forecast um, given the impact of market conditions which are unknown until the 31st of March, have to be reflected into the budget in January monitoring. And also um, last year, COVID made that um, sort of decision even more pronounced. So um, in line with other jurisdictions, because of the increased uncertainty, uh, an increased contingency was built in, um, which wasn't required. And that added further to the variance, but that risk was always known and understood. And, um, was communicated uh, to the to the committee in the January monitoring um, out outcome. 
So Chair, that is, that's a quick summary of June monitoring um, and I hope I've addressed the questions. Obviously, if there's more information in respect of those, we can um, pick it up. Um, so Joanna and I will do our best to answer any questions um, that you know the committee might have and provide additional clarification. And where we can't give you precise or complete answers, you know, we'll be happy to write to the clerk to provide the necessary explanations. And where a question is specific to a business area, we'll ask our policy colleagues to provide a response. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Sharon, and thanks for coming back to us with the responses to the questions that we had submitted. That's really useful to, to get that understanding of the, the reduced requirements. Um, in relation to the unallocated capital Dell and some of the capital Dell that you are um, expecting to be allocated, is there any, um, or are you like planning for using the, the capital Dell later in the year? Um, are there some projects that are identified or is it potentially uh, able to be allocated to some of those projects that um, you're expecting funding to be allocated for? Um, well, I think um, we're expecting funding to be allocated for Project Stratum, so just over £42 million, and um, that money comes from Treasury, so um, I suppose we wouldn't want to be allocating our own capital Dale towards that if we, you, you know, if there's a, a genuine use for it, and um, at this point in time, you know, we have a number of issues that we're keeping under review, and um, we do believe we, that we may have a use for it, which is why we haven't surrendered it at, at this point. Um, you know, there are some uh, projects in the higher education sector that we think could could utilise this funding, um, but we're not we're not at the position where we have enough information um, to allocate that to them. Um, so so that's why the money has remained unallocated. Okay, thanks for that. And. And I'm always conscious of not asking policy questions, but just in relation to, you've mentioned the additional money that's been allocated for business supports. Um, obviously, we're all very hopeful that we are going to continue to see relaxations of, of restrictions, but we're also conscious of, you know, changing situation, the, the Delta variant um, beginning to be seen here. Um, and just wondering what kind of con contingency work is being done by the department to, to look at you know potential further business support being required or further support being required for the further and higher education sector later in the year um, and what kind of planning is being done around that? Um, well, you know, I think um, you're, you're right, probably most of that um, does relate to policy and you know if you want a more detailed answer um we can get our policy colleagues to come back in terms of contingency arrangements yes um you know we are continuing to engage with our colleagues across the department um so you know behind the scenes no sooner has one monitoring round concluded but you know we're we're really starting the process um of engagement again and um you know just just this morning um sort of um something in the fe sphere was brought to my attention in terms of covid and covid testing um and um you know but in terms of any of those schemes um i don't have detail of that but you, you know policy colleagues are actively thinking about um you know even if, rest if restrictions aren't um put reintroduced um 
you know, how, how they deliver their business may still be impacted. So that's something that's very much to the front of, um, you know, policy colleagues' minds. And we can see that in terms of our engagement. But if, if you want anything specific, um, you know, someone on the policy side would need to come back to you. Uh, thanks for, for that, Sharon, and I appreciate it. And I, I assume the, the ability to have a wee bit of flexibility um, in terms of reallocating funding streams is, is useful in that respect as well. Um, and, and again, that this one might not be for you, for you specifically, but um, we all know that, that furlough ends or is due to end at the end of September. Um, and that's something that, that, as a committee, we have expressed concern about, particularly in relation to some sectors. Um, what conversations have been having with finance at the minute uh, and the impact that that might have for you in terms of programmes that might need to be put in place to support workers either for upskilling or, and also I suppose with the Department for Communities, um, um, training and employability. Is there a piece of work that is being done around that um, at a budgetary level and then obviously there, there's policy uh, level as well? Um, sure. Well, you know, you mentioned their flexibility outset and um, I suppose the flexibility that's been extended this year again about reallocating non-ring fence resource Dale is really useful because, you know, we can be very agile um, if, if things happen. And also you'll remember that within the um, Economic Recovery Action Plan that we were afforded flexibility within that, that package. Um, in terms of the, co the conversations um, around what's happening, um, I think the Economic Recovery Action Plan was really a, a set of initiatives that was designed to support Northern Ireland um, economically as um, we hopefully uh, charter away out of this pandemic as this year um, progresses. Um, so, you know, actually getting that getting that the Economic Recovery Action Plan fully funded at the outset um, has, has really meant that we haven't had to focus our time thinking about bids and rebidding and building bids. You, you know, the focus now can be on delivery. Um, so, you know, it, it really, there isn't the same need because we've had that funding up front to deliver those things. Um, you know, and that recovery action plan has a number of pillars, skills being one of them, um, you know, to help people reorientate themselves into other sectors. Um, so so I, I think just having that fun funding up, up front and agreed and with the flexibility has been really helpful. All right, thanks for that, Sharon. Um, Mike, you're next up. Oh, Chair, thank you. Sharon, thanks, thanks for, the, for the briefing. Can I ask about uh, FTC and the adjustments? Because it's not just the, the Elsie University's Belfast campus, I think it's also Invest, NI, and, and the South. Yeah, um, so um, there's, uh, within um, the FTC, there is um, a ring fence reduced requirement for Invest, NI, and also the science parts. Um, jo Joanna, can you pick on that? I, I think that relates to receipts. Is that correct? Yes, the science part relates to the receipts. And the invest NI is just that there is not the demand. Um, yeah, for, for there's, them. there's not the demand. I think obviously with alternative finance arrangements out there as well, um, there doesn't seem to have been the same demand for that loan scheme. 
Well, what sort of alternative um, schemes are, are trumping FTC? You would obviously have private finance initiatives as well, with lower interest rates and things like that. So, and obviously there has been support by the banks from some businesses. If you need further detail, I can ask Invest for further detail on the scheme. Please, I'd, I'd be interested in it. I mean, just as a kind of general impression, it seems to me that when it comes to FTC, we tend to hand back more to Treasury than we, we distribute to third parties. Yeah. Is, it, is it a particularly difficult scheme to operate from, from your viewpoint? I, I think that there can be difficulties with it and um, I suppose even the understanding of it. And I also think that um, there was a, a new accounting standard introduced in, I think it was 19, or sorry, 2019-20, um, which actually means um, there's a resource budget implication in future years. So um, the accounting standard required um, expected credit losses to be considered. So that is really whether they really were going to materialize or not. Um, you know, you have to make an estimate each year. Um, you have to do a calculation to judge that. And there's a resource dial implication as a result of FTC. Um, so even that alone, if there are other viable sources of finance, you know, that alone makes it a little less unattractive now. And if there was a review, presumably that would be coming out of, out of London rather than yourselves? Yes, um, it, it would, though I do know that um, DOF are having a look at the investment fund, um, which, you know, is, is FTC, and uh, we have engaged with DOF and you know, made these points um, because I suppose there maybe are different ways of dealing it, dealing with it in Northern Ireland. Um, but, but that said, it would have to be within the West, the Westminster framework, um, mm. and and also the accounting standards. So you know, there's there's limited scope to do anything differently. Yeah, and the final question, and forgive my ignorance, Sharon, but does the department actively promote uh, FTC to third parties, or is that something you leave to invest? Um, in terms of engagement with business, um, that really is the role of Invest NI. Um, we have used FTC, obviously you heard me talking there about um, Ulster University and the Greater Belfast Development, so, so that would have been through the department, not um, through Invest NI. But also um, SIB have a role in FTC as well, and they work across departments um, and sort of assessing <laughs> options and opportunities to use it. Okay, that's useful. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Gary, can we bring Gary into the spotlight? Yeah, thanks, Chair, and thanks, Joanna uh, and Sharon, for that. Uh, just a brief uh, comment because one of the other questions has already been asked. Um, it was in the briefing pack um, that members should note that the department's done with an allocation of 42.3 million in addition to Project Stratum. Um, the first one is in terms of, I think you said, Joanna, that it was, or Sharon, I think it was, that. Um, this should come through. Uh, what are the risks there? And see, in terms of the city deals and the uh, medical school at McGee, uh, what are the um, funding allocations required there? What, what have you asked for? And are there any risks there as well in terms of if, not, if that allocation is not made? Yeah. Um, so I think um, 
Joanna, do you want to pick up the first point? Or, yeah. Yes. Um, Gary, there, there are no risks in relation to Project Stratum. That has already been agreed with Treasury and it's just the timing of when the money flows in from Treasury to, the, to Northern Ireland to flow to ourselves. In respect of city deals, um, city deals will be the profile of spend across a number of projects and there will all be agreed by the, will really be the Belfast city deals I think this year where there will be funding flow coming through. That will not need to be in the form of a bid, it will literally be a transfer from, from DOF through to yourselves. So there will be no risk around those either. And the last one was in respect of the General Medical School. And again, it's anticipated that it will be 2.8 million of capital that would flow to ourselves. Um, and I think that is probably for June monitoring round again. But again, that just depends on the funding flow and when it comes in um, from, from Treasury. Okay, uh, thanks, Joanna. That's really all the questions I have. So, no doubt we'll um, hear from you again in the near future. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Thank Can we bring John into the spotlight, please? Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, has the incoming or the new minister indicated that he plans to change the budget profile in any way um, or set new priorities which will impact on the budget? Um, John, not um, as far as I'm aware of. I, I don't believe so. You will appreciate that the new minister has only arrived on Monday. Um, so, uh, you know, I haven't had any conversations with them in terms of budget, but budget priorities, you know, have been defined by the Economic Recovery Action Plan, really, um, which I think had collective buy-in. Um, so, so the answer, the short answer is no. Um, there has been no um, sort of communication around changing any budget allocations. It ha are you aware if there's any for want of a better financial term, spur cash around in relation to those students who weren't included in the previous minister's £500 COVID support. Is there still COVID money available to the executive and therefore would there be COVID money available to the department if bid for? Um, I am, I'm on, Joanna, do you know if there was any COVID money left from the May allocation? Um, I know that DOF really, um, they had a May exercise and did allocate, um, you know, COVID money um, where there was bids. I'm just not sure if they had any money left. Are you, Joanna? I'm not either. And obviously, John, there may be other COVID allocations that will come in through Barna Consequentials and then there may be surrenders throughout the year. Uh, we do anticipate there probably will be further COVID exercises. Uh, and if there was a requirement, a bid could be met. Okay. Uh, Joanna, can I just ask you just to clarify your comments around the funding for the McGee Medical School uh, in relation to the £2.8 million? Did you say you're waiting on an allocation from Treasury for that? That's my understanding, yes. Right, but that, that funding is guaranteed? Y yes, we're just waiting on, on the funding flow coming in. We, we are going to get that. It's just... it's. It's when the money hits the bank to transfer it us, John, more so than it's so really the time the post, that's what... Yes, yeah. Right, okay, thank you. Thanks, John. Stuart? Not... <coughs> thank you, thank you, Chair, and thank you for, for um, the information you've been giving us today. Uh, two areas. One, um, in relation to the department itself, 
uh, and the number of staff vacancies that are outstanding in the department, because clearly it's important the department has a full complement of staff to fulfil its obligations in its public-facing role. So, where are you in relation to staff vacancies, and also um, where are you in relation to uh, return to? Uh, working in departmental offices as opposed to home working, and what's the sort of time frame and plan around that? I have a second question after this. Sure. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. So, in relation to um, staff vacancies, um, I mean, obviously, you'll be aware we have uh, spoken to the committee about this in the past. It is a real challenge for DFE. Um, I don't have the percentage of vacancies here with me today. But I know that you know it won't have changed significantly. Um, I think some posts have been filled, um, but I don't expect. I think the last time we were here, the vacancy rate was about twenty-five percent, um, and I, I don't like that has not dropped to anything. Probably even like fifteen percent. So that is still a real challenge for DFE, um, and I think across the the civil service. Um, the, in relation, what's the blockage? For, what's the reasoning behind that? Is it simply um, this pace of recruitment due to COVID? Or is it a lack of applicants? Um, I honestly couldn't comment on the number of applicants. You know, that would probably be a question for next HR in mm. DOF. Um, but I think even before COVID, um, you know, there were a reasonable number of vacancies around the system. I think COVID really magnified that. Um, and recruitment was paused for a while, yes. and then it was reinstated. Um, and you know, it does seem a bit slower than maybe it would otherwise have been pre-COVID. Um, so you know, I think it's just a combination of factors. Um, in terms of returning to <clears throat> the office, um, it is something that obviously DFE keep under review. Again, it's not my direct area of responsibility, but. I can certainly tell you what I know. Um, so management, um, you know, are looking at this, but obviously very minded by we should only return to the office when it's safe to do mm -hmm. so. Um, you'll probably also be aware that the civil service is um, developing hubs across Northern Ireland um, for people to work in. So I think nobody, nobody really envisages return to the office five days a week than in the way that it was um, before before COVID. And, you know, there is a programme of work within the department to work out how best do we do this. Um, so certainly a lot of thought has been given to it, but, you, you know, sort of the overarching principle is we should only, we should only do that whenever it is safe to do so. Okay, thank you. Um, can I turn to, to capital easements? And you, you've identified a number of areas where there's pressure. Uh, one in relation to IT for um, a tourism project, embrace the giant spirit, uh, and the second one is, or second sort of lar the second largest one then is around the Presbyterian Mutual Society further reduction in capital receipts. So two questions here. One, maybe if you could just explain in general what those pressures are, particularly for that IT uh, for tourism, and then secondly in relation to the PMS. Are you on target in terms of the predicted outcomes in relation to it, or is it, or is it heading in the wrong direction or the right direction? Okay. Um, well, so in relation to the first one on tourism, 
Um, I don't have a lot more detail than that, and if Joanna doesn't, um, then we can get somebody to come back to you on that. Okay. Joanna, do you have more detail on that? Yes, that is a, a 0.8 million bid to create uh, content to showcase the best of Northern Ireland uh, and to align to the message of the brand, the giant spirit. So basically what that is, is the development of a lot of content that can be used over a number of years um, to market Northern Ireland as a tourism uh, attraction and uh, a particular focus on um, different events and different um, attractions throughout the province. So why is that described as a pressure? It's, it's a bid, basically. So it was a bid for them to get that funding in okay. order to do that content. So they didn't have it in their initial budget, I and see. they then presented a bid. Right, okay. Yeah. Why um, was it not in the original budget? I mean, surely if you're planning a major campaign, you would want to cover all the bases in relation to your budget? They did have, um, they have a budget allocation through ERAP and then obviously their normal baseline allocation. But perhaps they, um, it's that capital element because this will then give them that content for a longer you period know, of time. Yeah, yeah. But not much point in having a campaign if you don't have the content. I can refer this back if, if you want for a question. Yeah. I, I can't comment on why no. the, you know, the original bid wasn't yeah. in there. But one, know, wonders the why you, one wonders why something is even financially approved if it, does, if it isn't the whole story. Sorry, I, I, just I say, lost the signal there, sorry. I, I wonder why, why something is even financially approved when you clearly don't have the whole story in front of you, when people are coming back looking for additional substantial sums of money. The bid, the bid was submitted as part as part of the June the June monitoring. They did not submit it as as part of their initial budget request. Mm. Yeah. So, so you know there was a, there was enough supporting information to justify an allocation in June monitoring. I think what that's what we're not addressing is why was it not included yes. in the original budget yeah. request? Yes. And um, if you want some more detail on that, we can refer it back to tourism. Yeah. Just wondering why it wasn't completely fleshed out because you obviously from a financial perspective you approved the process, you approved the concept, but the concept wasn't actually complete and they're coming back looking for more. Sorry, I'm not I'm not sure what you mean by you accrue the process. Well, I, if if somebody makes a bid for funding, finance have to assess the viability of that bid. Yeah. Okay. Well, you obviously assessed it and said it was okay to proceed, but they're now coming back asking for more money that you don't actually have at this point in time. Um, no, I think this wasn't included at all, and now they've brought it forward as a bid, and, and we do have the money, so we have allocated it to them. Okay, so it's not a pressure this is, then. This is, no, we, we have, we have, it was a pressure as part of exercise that we have recommended to be funded as part of this exercise so that it can be taken forward yeah. so, so we had a number of easements and we recommended to fund a number of pressures and this was one of them okay thank you okay Sorry. um in relation to pms yes so in relation to um pms um that um is the 500 odd thousand there is in relation to a further reduction in PMS capital receipts. Yes. Um, you asked about PMS there. 
And I think broadly, uh, PMS is in line um, to achieve its um, sort of capital receipts, but this has been identified. And um, the reason why it's important to address it also is because our overall capital budgets, not just for PMS, but our overall capital budget um, is set net of those receipts. So if those receipts are less, that would impact our overall capital budget. Um, so, so that pressure is to address that that shortfall. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Um, and just a final question for myself is around the um, economic recovery action plan funding. So, DFE has discretion in terms of how that's going to be spent. Um, and I, I asked the finance minister about that, and he says there will still be a need for business cases to be completed um, and submitted to um, in respect of that. So, just in relation to the, I guess, the monitoring of the funding, because it's a significant amount of funding that has been allocated, is there a process in place, um, and is that something that we could have sight of as it kind of develops over the next number of months, um, where the funding is going and how the spending is is going? Um, yes. So um, you're quite right. The economic recovery action plan is quite a sizable amount of money, and we do have flexibility. Um, and in managing that, um, there is um, a team in the business area and they are responsible. Obviously, they need to um, let finance know what, what's happening with it. But that team um, is responsible for managing that funding across um, the initiatives. And yes, as the finance minister has indicated to you, you know, those initiatives will need business cases and will have to follow um, the, the process for that. And you know we're engaging with our DOF supply colleagues um, about that. Okay, it might be useful for us to to get a briefing from the the team in the department that is working on that. So that's something that we can yeah. seek to get. Um, Sharon and Joanna, thanks very much. I don't have any more questions, so um, that that's it for this morning. I'm sure we'll have you back soon enough. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Is there anything, Peter, we need so, to... Chair, we have a couple of things to pick up on. Uh, further detail around FTC that Mr Nesbitt had raised with Invest. We put that through the DALO. Um, potentially, if the committee was, was uh, minded to write to um, Nick CHR and DOF to ask just exactly what's going on with the recruitment process. I know that the big... Um, they did a, a big uh, staff officer competition and they've been drawing down from the lists on that. I think EO1 and EO2 are advertised, um, but it might just be worthwhile finding out how that's all working in the sorts of timescales for it if members are content. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we'll organise uh, a briefing around that um, team that's managing the, the ERAP spend and seek a bit of detail in advance of that, Chair, if members are content to do that. Okay. Members are happy enough. We'll move on then. Okay, so item number five is matters arising. Um, on page 27 of your pack, there is a departmental response to a number of committee queries in relation to the reform of youth training. The response includes um, an outline of the support for learners in digital or broadband poverty, measures the department is putting in place to ensure that FE reaches disadvantaged and hard-to-reach communities, engagement with training for success providers who will not be part of level two provision when training for success ends details of the contract awards for all three levels um it's to note at this point and i think we're still waiting on responses 
for from the training providers? Yeah, we're we're in contact with them, Chair, and we're just seeking um, their views on the the issues that were raised and what sort of engagement they've got going forward. Okay, so are members happy enough with that at this point, and we can bring, come back. Yeah, Sorry, sorry, go just, ahead. Just sure, a, I didn't see. a comment more than anything else in relation to hard to reach uh, communities um, in relation to FE. Um, I can remember in the, in the dim distant past through various community groups and community facilities um, of the old Carrick Council when I was there that they then, uh, Newton Abbey Tech, delivered a lot of uh, miles and basic English skills uh, to people in the it right down in the community, literally paces from their own front door. A lot of that seems to be lost. Everybody has to go to a big centre and a big shiny school nowadays. Uh, and I just wonder, uh, could we further tease that out in relation to what the FE College's plans actually are to get down into communities and to, deli to deliver those very basic skills? Yeah, because it, it, it says in there about the 200 community outreach centres, Peter, <coughs> so if there's something that we could we get have, a wee bit more detail. Chair, we have the um, FE College's with our informal yeah. tomorrow. Uh -huh. That's probably a useful direct discussion with them, just exactly how they're doing that. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Yeah, go ahead, John. It's slightly on a broader subject of the FE Colleges, but I recently met with the trade unions who represent workers at Thompson's Earl seating, and they have presented me with a document which I'll send to the clerk, uh, which talks about how in Germany and other European countries, during furlough, what they're doing is upskilling their workers, yes. and they're using uh, the further education sector to do that. So a worker who's on furlough is given so many hours additional training through the FE colleges, which allows them to upskill and be more competitive in the upcoming market. Um, the Unite Trade Union, uh, who presented me with the document, are quite keen on it, uh, but I'll send it through to the clerk who can then uh, give it to, to members as well. Thanks, John. Okay. Okay, so moving on then to um, 5.2, there's a response from TEO regarding the committee's request from the 15th of January for information on the rigid ring fencing of COVID-19 support funding. So obviously we've moved on considerably uh, since this and now there is um, flexibility provided for. So um, the ring fencing rules mean that if the executive has allocated funds to specific bids, the department can only use the funds for that allocation and unspent funds must be returned. If new pressures emerge, executive agreement must be sought before any easements from one ring fenced executive allocation can be used to address another pressure. TEO advises that DAFE has been provided with an allocation for its COVID-19 recovery plan that allows it flexibility to allocate COVID-19 funding across various strands of that plan, which will allow flexibility across common initiatives addressing similar areas of economic recovery and will reduce the risk of vital expenditure not being used. So, just a note. 5.3 then. Um, there is a clerk's memo at page 15 of table papers providing a summary of responses from Manufacturing NI and Logistics NI on the issue of freight shipping costs, which we requested at last week's meeting. So the responses outline that many manufacturers are experiencing this rise in costs given their reliance on international supply chains and getting goods to export markets. 86% of firms are reporting an increase in transportation costs due to a number of factors which include as countries have begun to reopen global demand has significantly increased which is outstripping supply 
container availability, including reduced production of containers, container, containers being out of place as global logistics were impacted by COVID, containers being used by nations to store PPE, the admin burden and delay caused by Brexit formalities, and then the large ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal uh, disrupted shipping patterns for a number of months. And then the final issue is fuel and other operating costs are also significantly increasing. So that is to note, it's a useful briefing. There's a report there as well from Logistics UK on the issues. Go ahead, Sinead. Chair, yeah, that was really helpful, actually, um, that document. But it just kind of illustrates, you know, a lot of pressures that manufacturing companies are under at the minute is not essentially about Brexit or the protocol, yet everything has been heaped in, you know, if there's any delays in anything at all, that it has to be about that. Uh, and, and we can see that there's significant delays um, in shipping and the cost of it is really going to be massively impacted by those companies that um, that are involved in, in the whole shipping process, particularly to Asia. Uh, and that, and um, one of the, the interesting parts of the, the, the briefing paper was that they don't foresee um, these costs being reduced for, for quite a long while, probably mm. towards the end of uh, 2022. So um, this is going to be um, see a, a, an up uh, an upping of costs for, for the customers as well um, through all sorts of things. I mean, I was trying to get garden furniture and it's just nearly impossible to get big bulky um, supplies at the moment. Um, and, and it's not down to the protocol and it's not down to Brexit. It is really down to this global um, issue of, of shipping and also obviously the cost of fuel is having a, a real impact as well but it's something that we should keep an eye on and engage with logistic companies about this to see is there anything that we can do to help support um, because you know most bulk buying Northern Ireland depends on shipping really to get um, all, all because of the, the, the nature of, of being an island and to get bulk products in here so it is it's going to be impactful in all aspects Chair, we have open lines with um, Logistics NI, particularly with, with this sort of issue being so live. Yeah. Um, and I know um, <clears throat> infrastructure committees also um, been looking at this as well. So I think between them, the two committees will, will be focusing quite a bit. As the chair says, there, there's a like, or the deputy chair says, there's a likely um, impact on consumers. Yes. So it's it's something that the um, the likes of of, of the sorts of bodies that monitor that and the pricing indexes and so on mm -hmm. will be aware of so yeah it, it's one we have um very much on our radar um and we we have those open lines with the manufacturing groups and with logistics and i so we keep getting information from them they're very helpful um, with regular updates so we keep bringing those through but as the deputy chair said costs aren't going to go down anytime soon and that will impact people yeah. um directly Chair, should we contact um, CMA as well to ask them what their thoughts are about it? Because um, you know there 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 are uh, issues around that. You know, just the competitiveness of it uh, and the competition there. We can write, Chair, if members yeah. are, are content. Hey, Chair, interesting to note that yesterday um, uh, Stena announced a new service from Belfast to Holyhead, a new shipping service twice a week. Um, so there are a lot of changes in the whole global transit and logistics um, markets. But if you look at the red lines on that report which we've mm -hmm. received, the increases are phenomenal. And 
the largest is actually in the cost of raw materials. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there's, a, there's an element of this could be predicted as we move out of COVID, but there's also an element of what might be described as gouging going on as well in relation to the world economy as a follow-up to COVID. Okay, thanks for that. And um, Peter, we can do those we things. Write, we write to the CMA chair, yeah. Okay, so moving on then to 5.4, at page 94 of table papers, there's a response from the Finance Minister regarding the committee's request to consider funding the feasibility study for the Enerchem process. The Minister responds, indicating that the pro proposal would be more appropriate for an operational department such as DERA or DFE to consider funding a study given the connections with agriculture and commercial development. And obviously the committee has already we corresponded managed, yeah. with the, those departments also and invest. Yes, Chair, we have. I, I know that uh, Anarchem has already got engagement with the new minister from before. So we'd be fairly hopeful that, that we get a response fairly quickly on that one. Um, and that you know the, the the impartial feasibility study can be moved forward. Okay, so move. That, are, are members content that we would pass that response on then to to Anarchem? Thank you. Thank you. So moving on then to uh, five point five, at page ninety five of table papers, there is the matrix that colleges and I said they would provide us with last week um, on the hospitality qualification pathways. Um, from the colleges on the yeah. tourism and hospitality hub, so um, yeah, that's there, and it's yeah, it is quite that useful is to have a, 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 a pictorial representation. Um, so that's just to note at this point, the committee obviously will return to this issue when we receive the department's response to that briefing and its recommendations. So um, just to note at this point. So moving on then to 5.6 at page 97 of table papers, there's information provided by Colleges NI on the IFEX event following last week's briefing also. So again, it's just to note um, that, and it's likely that the event will fall between committee yeah, mandates. It's, it's so March, April next year, so it's likely to be during dissolution. Okay, and then just 5.7, 5, 5 and this isn't in the, the pack, but members will remember at last week's meeting, the committee agreed to seek an update from stakeholders on the implementation of the protocol. Oh, yeah, John's, John's lost connection. Um, so responses from stakeholders indicate that it may be appropriate for an informal meeting to discuss the protocol implementation and impact. So if members were content, we would um, include the Business Brexit Working Group, Manufacturing NI, FSB and Logistics NI, um, and the clerk would seek to arrange that informal meeting um, on the 7th of July, uh, which is our, our Wednesday, it's our last yeah, it's committee our, it's meeting. It's our last committee meeting, Chair. We, we have a bit of capacity, so what we would do is we'd, we'd come out of the meeting and switch to a Teams meeting with them, but they seem very keen to talk to, to members um, well, I'll just leave it at that. They seem very keen to talk. And Peter, what, what we had initially kind of discussed was we might look at doing a, a, an inquiry similar to the ones we've done. But if we did the informal meeting, we would still do a report and we would still have the ability then to you know do whatever we yeah. would like to do with the report. Yeah, sure. As we do with the informals, we would write up a, a note of mm -hmm. themes and issues that were discussed and then the committee can take that. Um, bring a motion if necessary. We can publish elements. Um, there, there's all sorts of different um, things committee can do there. I think it was just the, the, the stakeholders are really keen to talk. Um, 
So I, I suppose it's it's ideal to try and get that done before yeah. the, the summer reset. Yeah, no, that's grand. Our members are content that we would slot that in then for the 7th of July. Yeah. And obviously by that point, the grace period that is currently finished, operating yeah. should have finished. So um, it'll be useful to get that information. Thanks. Sure. Okay, then moving on to item number six, the parental bereavement leave and pay bill. There is a clerk's memo at page 99 of table papers. There is a draft public uh, notice at page 105 of table papers. Um, there is a draft public survey at page 106 of table papers and a copy of the Hansard of the departmental briefing on the 9th of June at page 111 of table papers. So members will be aware because I think most of us uh, participated in the debate, but the bill passed its second stage in the assembly on Monday and was referred to the committee then for committee stage on Tuesday. The committee stage has now begun and the committee can issue a call for evidence on the bill. A public notice will be published in local newspapers and on the Assembly website as per usual practice. The notice provides an opportunity to submit views on the detail of the bill provided uh, or by responding sorry, to the survey. Surveys such as this have been piloted by a number of committees, including those seeking views on a bill. The survey will be targeted at specific stakeholders and will be promoted through the Assembly and Committee social media. It's hoped that it will prompt a much wider and more diverse response. The survey focuses on three key areas, um, the definition of a bereaved parent, how and when to take leave and notice and evidence requirements. Um, the, so what we want to do is to seek members agreement for the publication of the evidence um, public notice and for this survey. So are members content that we would do those things? Agreed. Thank you, Chair. Um, just to remind members, a raise paper is being prepared on the bill, and we will be briefed by raise on the 7th of July. And the bill's office are providing us a briefing on the 23rd. Is that right? 23rd. I think we might have slipped that chair to the 30th. 30th. I think you told yeah, me the 30th. Um, on the bill process itself. Um, and Peter. In our request to raise, we asked them to cover the issues that the committee had already discussed, he, didn't we? The, we supplied them with the analysis of consultation responses that the department had passed on for the bill. We'd also asked for um, local comparative and international comparative. Mm -hmm. So we know part of the issue they found is that the, the, there's a lot of movement at the minute on this, um, locally and internationally. So it's been very fluid and it's a, they're needing to use across um, disciplinary team um, to do the research so it's just meant that it, it hasn't come as quickly as we might have wanted but we, we have it scheduled now for the, the 7th and we're, we're confident all those elements will be woven into it um, it'll just give members a good idea of what's happening elsewhere and, and kind of give the basis for some discussion around that okay. Chair there may be an opportunity um, in the current circumstances if the assembly goes into some form of uh, stasis as a result of the failure to produce a first deputy first minister. The assembly, nevertheless, will continue on, um, and there may actually be an opportunity for us as a committee to work during what would not then be a recess uh, to develop this bill to the point that if an assembly does return, then we could be in a position to get the legislation through quicker than our current timetable. Could the clerk possibly look at how an accelerated, I don't mean accelerated in terms of 
the, 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 the bill, but I've been accelerated in terms of our processes if we actually have got more time available to us. Chair, the, the main thing um, we work from is the survey and call for evidence that we're putting out. That will take us through to the end of July. It'll take a couple of weeks to analyse that as members are aware. Bill is evidence-based, the report will be evidence-based, the evidence that we take forms the basis of, of, of the, the committee commentary, so we need that initial piece of work done. Uh, we don't want to just exclusively rely on the department's consultation. No. No. It's important we have our own piece of work. So, as I say, by the end of July, we'll have a better picture of whether what we're getting is aligning with their consultation. If it's not, that's a whole new ballgame. If it is then we can move forward to committee selecting which witnesses they want to bring in. Whether or not, Chair, we want to do events as well, because there'll be... Things have moved forward quite a bit with the bill, and as long as we can capture discussion, uh, it can be used as evidence for a bill. So we're looking at how we might do um, some informal discussion events to allow people to talk about issues that would be very difficult for them to talk to talk about maybe in a, in a public committee session. Yes. So we need to make sure we've got all of our um, ducks in a row on just how far we can go and still be within the rules around bill scrutiny. Great. So we, we're working all that out now, Chair Mr Nesbitt. Yeah, so Chair, are we signing off the, the content of the survey today? If we can, yes. Okay, can I, I just raise a question again? I, I don't know the answer to this, but in the debate I mentioned that Previously, my old school used to send letters out with a salutation, parents slash guardians. Yes. We are talking about parents and primary carers. Yeah, that, it's not the same thing, is it? It's, it's the definitions that are being used um, by the department. So this was part of the consultation. Um, they had talked about parent stroke guardian, but there was a realisation that that didn't actually cover the full gamut of people yeah. because you, you have... Um, family members who are in local parentis but aren't necessarily um, official guardians. That's right. It, was, it came out as part of the consultation process that that, that usual um, kind of salutation, as you say, that she was parent-guardian, doesn't cover where they want to cover anymore. It's one of the issues that we pick up um, when we discuss this. That's probably something we can bank from the departmental consultation because that... That kind of was where they got to with this definition. So we're not excluding guardians? No, we're not excluding ah, anyone. Okay. No, no, it's okay. the, it's the, 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 the caregiver idea just opens it up completely to anyone who yeah, provides um, the majority of care, if we want to put it that way. So it, it opens it up to, to um, foster carers, all sorts of other people. So it was, it was trying to ensure nobody with a significant role would be left out. Okay, that, that's very helpful. Peter, see, just in relation to the the questions where we are asking, you know, agree or disagree, is it appropriate to uh, if to ask for any other comments? And that I know we have the bottom. What, do you what think we that do that is in our call for all? evidence is we, we make it very clear um, that the additional comments can be covering anything. Any of the yeah. questions. We we tried not to put in too many boxes. Um, we took some advice on this and, and, and we've learned from uh, the experience of other committees and we found that if you if you put in more boxes 
people just cut and paste the same comment. Um, and that then starts to impact on you being able to run a report off the survey. So the boxes are strategically placed, if I can put it that way, on advice from maximising the utility of the survey. Obviously, the survey um, isn't the only method of contact, and it's probably important, I say, we will, we will be writing out to all of our stakeholders and all of those who um, participated in the consultation. Uh, this is to try and capture, I guess, people who wouldn't normally do a, a contribution to a, a call for evidence for a bill. People find that really intimidating. Um, it's, you know, if I write that, this is an impact on legislation, people do worry. So the survey is designed to be a bit more user-friendly and a bit softer. So it's kind of been designed with that in mind, but we will still ensure full commentary from organisations and individuals that are in a better position to be able to provide that. What we want to try and get with a survey is more of a feeling for how people will relate to this, how people interpret it, what they think it's telling them. Um, so as I say, the boxes are, are strategically placed to do that because we, we've also found that if you put in too many boxes, people abandon the survey halfway through. So there's been research went into this. Okay. So are members happy enough with the the survey that's there and the the uh, advertisement? Go ahead, Sinead. Just um, based on the debate on Monday, there was quite um, a lot of feedback regarding miscarriage, and um, you know that this was might be an opportunity to expand um, this bill out. Obviously, that's not reflected in the survey at all, we and probably it can't be because that's not. If I explain, Chair, that yeah. the, the survey is, is drafted on bill as, um, as, as introduced. So where we pick up then is we get that in additional commentary, anything else yes. you'd like to say. Right, okay. And also we, we're aware of organisations that um, responded to the consultation previously that we'll be able to pick up on. I suppose it's continuing on from the conversation last week um, where Mr Stalford had talked about wanting to be able to talk to groups that are looking at how, how this legislation might need to go in, in other directions. So we will pick up on that. Um, don't worry, we're, we're live to those issues. Uh, I was just actually um, messaging the team there about getting our hands on the second stage debate as soon as possible so that we can analyse what issues have been raised that are uh, not in the bill as drafted and where we can go with those in terms of scope within the bill. I suppose there's two things to remember, is scope of the departmental remit and scope of the bill itself. Um, and if you get to the point where you're, you're looking at issues that aren't, aren't even tenuously within scope, then you're looking at a time scale. And, and the other the key thing with this bill is the department needs it done and dusted. By that mid-November, we're looking to extend to as an absolute limit. Uh, in terms of getting to Royal Assent before the end of the year and then being able to draft and bring forward um, the necessary secondary legislation to enact um, the bill itself with some of the flexibilities that have been talked about before in terms of the extension to 56 weeks of when the leave can be taken um, and potentially then bring in these other issues as well. So we, we, we're alive to, to all of that and it's, it's kind of how we do it most efficiently to get it all packed into this condensed time period. I probably should say at this point as well, we're aware that some of the PMBs we're expecting 
have reached late drafting stage and will come. Um, so at some stage, members are going to have to have a conversation about that volume and how it's managed. Um, so we'll, we'll leave that for another day, Chair, but it is, it's something I'm, I'm very conscious of at the minute. Okay, so are members happy enough then with the notice um, with the survey and that we are, are happy to approve those? Great. Yeah. Thank you. So that might actually just be something worth, worth mentioning as well. Is we've now got our motion to extend scheduled for the 28th. We have a lot going on that day. Our LCM is the 28th. Uh, we're planning our debate on the High Street Stimulus Scheme feedback we got from the event last week on the 28th as well. So it's, it's going to be a really busy day. So just if members want to make sure they, they're having that sort of flagged up in their diaries, there'll be a lot of speech making that day. Okay, thanks, Peter. So moving on then to item number seven, the SL1 Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020 Coronavirus Amendment of Certain Relevant Periods, number two, Regulations, Northern Ireland 2021. There is a clerk's memo at page 73. The SL1 is at page, sorry, did I say 73? Page 37 and SL1 at page 38. Um, the proposed statutory rule will further extend provisions in the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act 2020, the SIG Act. These provisions will place restrictions on the service of statutory demands demand during what is termed the relevant period and on the presentation of winding up petitions and the making of winding up orders where coronavirus has had an impact on company finances. Um, the rule is subject to confirmatory resolution procedure. The anticipated date that the rule will come in to operation is the 30th of June. This is the committee's opportunity to consider the policy set out in the SL1 as it's not possible to amend the rule once it has been made and laid in the Assembly Business Office. So members will be very familiar with this um, SR at this point. So this one is extending it from the 30th of June to the 30th of September. Yes, Chair. So members were aware that um, the original piece of legislation would would move forward in, I suppose, quarters. So we, we've basically brought it as far as the, the quarter ending um, this month. So we're now looking to extend it to the quarter ending at the end of September. Um, the, the way the, the, the legislation works is because it's coronavirus, it will effectively be extendable uh, until the pandemic status ends. So at the minute, um, the 30th is, is the next extension, but there, there's potential that it will have to be moved further on. Okay, so are members happy enough with the policy direction? Thank, Thank you. you. So moving on then, item number eight, correspondence at page 43 of your pack from TEO committee regarding this committee's work on the uh, protocol in relation to issues that businesses are having. So the TEO committee does not intend to pursue the issue in any more detail, However, due to its oversight role in relation to protocol issues, the committee has requested that they are copied into future correspondence on the matter by our committee. So, are members content to respond to the TEO committee that this committee will continue to forward any papers that we consider and wish to share? Thank you, Chair. Um, so, 8.2 correspondence at page 44 from the Infrastructure Committee to the Economy Minister regarding further support for the taxi industry. Again, something we've raised on many occasions, so are members content to note? Thank you. 
correspondence then at page I assume 45, from the Chair of the Lords Protocol Subcommittee to Paul Scully, MP, Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for BES. This correspondence poses a number of questions in relation to a proposal for a regulation of the European Parliament and of the Council on Machinery Products in terms of its implication of its application to the North under the Protocol. So it's to note at this point, and this I suppose is what we referred to earlier in being copied into the correspondence. At page 48 then of your pack, there is um, correspondence from the Chair of the Lords Protocol Subcommittee to Paul Scully MP, Parliamentary Under Secretary of, of State for BES. This correspondence poses a number of questions in relation to a draft commission regulation on cosmetic products in terms of its implications of its applications to the North under the protocol. So again, just to note. Then at 8.5, there's correspondence at page 50 of your pack from Rural Community Network regarding digital connectivity in rural Ireland. Um, a project consultant on the 5G thinking project is writing to ask if this committee or raise has pursued work into the digital divide between rural and urban communities and if so, what information we have published. Furthermore, he advises that he's running a series of events starting on the 23rd of June, which may be of interest to members. So the committee has not carried out or commissioned work into the digital divide, but it is a key element of strategies across the department and of Project Stratum. So are members content to respond, indicating that this is a key issue which the committee is aware of in its scrutiny of all departmental strategies, and that the committee would be grateful for an update on the outcome of this work. Chair, I, I might actually add to that uh, that has occurred to me um, just as you were speaking there. We, we do have correspondence with the councils on this that we haven't um, had a response. We had an initial contact. The I think 10 of the 11 councils have a 5G group that's working on this. You might recall we, we had the informal uh, with the group talking about 5G quite a way back um, and we, we corresponded with the councils on that basis so it, it might actually be useful if I chase that up um, just to see what work is happening across the councils and then perhaps join up um, the council representative because they have a, a sort of person who's, who's looking at this across councils with the uh, network so they can, they can sort of cor correspond more directly there if members are content yep Thank you. Okay, thank you. So moving on, 8.6, there is a briefing paper at page 52 um, from the Queen's Institute for Global Food, Food Security outlining industrial hemp opportunities for the North. The paper outlines economic opportunities, healthy soil, CO2 emission reduction, social impacts and next steps. So would members be content to forward the this paper to the Department for Information? Um, I have talked to... Um, Ian Marshall about this and there is some really interesting stuff there. It might be useful to do a, an informal at it some is, point. It, it's, it's one I think Miss Sugden has, has, yep, raised, has. has raised it on a number of occasions. Um, it does sound really, really quite something and, and obviously there's a, a local, a real local angle with this. So absolutely, if members are content, we'll go ahead and organise a discussion, you know, an informal yep. meeting on it. Yep. Um, Chair of mine? Yeah, um, go ahead, Claire. 
Um, yeah, it's one that I've been trying to inspire people to sort of take hold of for a while. Um, would it be useful um, to forward it as well to the to DERA, obviously, because there's there's links there in terms of agriculture and uh, farmers and, and a new opportunity there. Um, I'm aware that he, Ian has also written to the chair of the Euro Committee, so hopefully they'll also be um, dealing with it. Chair, I think it's one they will want to pick up on. Yeah, I, I just want to do what we're across the working on this. If we could ever get back to that type of uh, approach, um, but yeah, look, I'm, I'm happy to take forward as well. Obviously. Thanks, Claire. And the clerk says he will liaise with the clerk of the Euro Committee just to to coordinate on that. Thank you. So moving on to 8.7, then there is a copy of correspondence at page 55 from the Cabinet Office to the Chair of the Lords Commons Framework Scrutiny Committee. It gives an update on cross-cutting issues in relation to the common frameworks, including the EU-UK Trade and Cooperation Agreement, the Protocol and the <coughs> UK Internal Market Act. The Cabinet Office notes that a significant proportion of EU regulations applying under the Protocol fall within the sphere of common frameworks. Thus, and I quote, there is scope for policy divergence between Northern Ireland and GB. The British government is currently mapping which EU legislation is likely to amend the protocol. So it's to note at this point, and I'm sure we'll get um, responses. Sure, it might just be worth linking that back to the previous couple of letters copied to us from the Lord's subcommittee, which looked at machinery. Uh, and cosmetics, that's, yeah. I suppose, uh, an indication of, of what we're talking about. Uh, anything to do with goods where the EU changes its um, its criteria for, for manufacturing and, and so on will impact on um, the market here because we're obviously still part of the single market for goods. So it's, it's that in live action, if you like. Okay, thank you, Peter. 8.8 then, um, there is a copy of the 41st report of the Examiner of Statutory Rules 2020-2021 at page 61, so that is just for members to note. And then moving on to item number nine, there is our forward work programme. So there is a copy of the forward work programme at page 116 of your pack, or sorry, of table papers. Um, And just... Our forward work program up until recess, it's, and it's so, still accurate as of today. It's still accurate; <laughs> it hasn't changed since <laughs> yesterday. Um, so it's just for the next couple of weeks. We have Tourism NI and Tourism Ireland in next week. Um, we also have our raise briefing mm. on higher education funding models next week. So that will be one that the committee will be very interested in, and that's our short meeting. It is next week's the short meeting, so we'll be next door in twenty nine. Okay, so members happy enough with that? Thank you. Then item number 10 is any other business and none has been indicated. Just very briefly, Chair, you will be aware that there was a Northern Ireland Audit Office report in relation to broadband and will the committee be taking an opportunity to examine that? Chair, we're we're aware that it's um, on the potential list of inquiries from the PAC. If they assert primacy, we'd step back until they've done their work. yes. But I can speak to the, the PAC clerk to see if they can give us an indication of whether they're likely to do. Thank you. Thanks, Stuart. Sure. Okay, so um, item number 11 is the date, time and place of the next meeting. And it is next Wednesday morning in room 29, finishing at 12. We have our concurrent meeting with the Executive Office and Finance Committees this afternoon. And that is at 2pm in the chamber. In the chamber. 
Um, and then there is the informal meeting tomorrow morning at 11am with the college principals via Teams. So we're busy. Thank okay. you very much, right. Chair. Thanks, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30.